All right, good morning. Um, as pa- Pastor Michael shared, my name is David. I'm on staff here at All Nations. Thank you so much for uh, joining us for our Sunday worship. Uh, about a few months ago, we started a new series called uh, Gospel Origins, and we're uh, looking at and unpacking the first section of Genesis. Uh, and today we're going to close that first part series in the book of Genesis. We're going to take a break. And we're going to come back. Uh, But the reason why we call the Gospel Origins is because although the Bible consists of 66 books, uh, they're not not short stories with different (laughs) truths or different lessons, but actually it's one story and one truth that's threaded throughout all 66 books. And that is that there is a God who loves and that desires to be in a relationship with us. Uh, And this Bible, it tells us of God's plan to redeem and restore and forgive uh, sinners like you and me. And so that's why we call the Gospel Origins. And so uh, the last two weeks, Pastor Michael shared on Noah and the flood. And what we learned from there is that uh, God's love is demonstrated not in the absence of judgment, but actually in its very presence. Uh, Genesis 6 tells us that all the intentions of humankind was wicked. There was violence and corruption to the point where God regretted creating humanity. And so what he decided to do in his judgment is flood the earth to kill everything. But he spared Noah and his family. And then after the water subsided and there was now plan and and living things coming up again on earth, he makes a promise to Noah to never do this again. And and the sign of that promise was what? A rainbow. And as much as we want to think that's a beautiful picture that, that warms our hearts, but actually it's a symbol of war, warfare, uh, a bow and arrow. But what direction is that bow pointed? Not towards the earth, but towards heaven. And that's a, a shadow, a, a foreshadow of what God is ultimately going to do. He's not going to judge you and me. He's actually going to lay his judgment upon his only son. What an amazing picture that we get. Today, what we're going to look at, again, is that humanity finds itself in another familiar situation. They're in sin and rebellion against God, and God is once again going to judge his people. Uh, So if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 11, and we'll read verses 1 through 9. A very familiar Sunday school story. Uh, I hope that we can read it and see it with fresh eyes. Let's give uh, our full attention as I read God's word for us. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is the only, begin, uh, only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, uh, go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is God's word. Amen. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, we thank you again for gathering your church. At this time, we ask for your help. 
we ask that you'll speak to us. Reveal more of yourself to us. Help us to know who you are. God, and for those of us who are struggling, maybe it's been a long time since we've been at church, uh, I pray and ask that your spirit will soften our hearts to be able to hear what you have to say. God, we thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you invite us into your presence. Now may you glorify yourself through your truth and through your servant. God, we, we lift up this time to you. May you be glorified. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, when you see a good thing, you don't want to mess it up, right? And so I have a lot of friends that are dating, and they find a great girl. And what I tell them and look at them, I say, like, don't screw this up. Don't mess this up, right? But that's not always the case. Uh, some of my friends date uh, someone maybe of questionable character. I'm like, oh, press the eject button. Get out of there, right? But when you see something good, you don't want to mess it up, right? You don't want to screw things up because it's, it's good, right? And, and I think that's true for a lot of our lives. You know, at first glance, when I was reading this uh, passage and, and studying it, that's kind of the sentiment that I had. Man, this is, this is a huge improvement from Genesis chapter 6, where it got to the point where God had to destroy humanity. But what do we see in today's text? We see such an improvement, right? People are not killing each other off. Actually, they're coming together. They have one language. They're like, hey, let's work together. Let's build a city. Let's create a tower, right? Good things, and so when I look at this, I'm like, man, this is a good thing. Why would God mess this up? Why would God mess this up? Why would God judge something so good? Because there are a lot of things that we can admire about what's going on here in Babel. Uh, so what we need to do is take a closer look at, at what's going on to, in order to understand why God judges these people and disperse them. Because at first glance, this seems like a good thing. This seems like a good place to be. And so two things that I want us to look very closely at. Uh, the first is Babel's motivation. What was their motivation? Secondly is God's intervention. And, and lastly, right, this is just for us, is our application. So motivation, intervention, and then our application. So Babel's motivation. Uh, when I come home, a deacon does his usual you know, routine. He runs and gives me a hug. But there are certain days, actually, that he shows me a little bit more love. Uh, he, he gets uh, much closer to my body. He nestles his face into my neck, right? And he'll say, Dad, how are you doing? How's your day? And we have this conversation, and super nice to me, like abnormally nice. <laughs> and then uh, after a while, I find out why he's doing this. He, as I'm holding him, he looks at me with, with his, uh, his, you know, he doesn't have big eyes, very small, but <laughs> cute eyes. He looks at me and says, Candy? right? Candy with a question mark. And then I finally realized why he's being so nice to me. He wants, he wants candy from me. And so, you know, uh, me being very sensitive and a sucker, I'm like, okay, here's a lollipop, <laughs> right? His motivation, his ultimate goal in being nice to me was candy. And then there are times in my relationship with Jane where uh, it, it's, I don't do this often, but I just, I just see it and I'll just be astonished by her beauty. I, this is 100% true. I'm like, wow, Jane, you look, you're so pretty today, right? And what does Jane do? She looks at me, she's like, oh, what do you want? <laughs> right? She doesn't believe me. I'm genuinely like, I'm amazed at how beautiful she is, but she's questioning my motive, like, as if I wanted something from her. And 
uh, 75% of the time, it's genuine, but there is that 25% where I'm like, come on, let me go golfing, right? Or something. <laughs> motivation, it's, it's important, right? It tells us what our ultimate, ultimate goal is. For Deacon, it's, it's candy, right? And sometimes for me, it's golf. Let me out, right? <laughs> See, God isn't so interested in our external actions, He's actually more interested in our internal condition, the reason why we do certain things. And this is what we need to look for in this text, in this story. What was Babel's motivation? Because building a city is not a bad thing. It's actually a great thing. Uh, Human ingenuity is, is a great thing. It's not a bad thing. Building great big things is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Right? To want security and comfort is not, is not a bad thing. So what's going on? Why does God judge and disperse a unified people? All right, we got to look at verse 4. Verse 4 tells us what Babel's motivation was. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its, tops, with, with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So the first thing that we see here is what? What was the motivation and actually, we want to say it's pride. Pride was a motivation. We want to make a name for ourselves. That's why we're going to do all these things. And so the lesson goes, and this is what we hear growing up in Sunday school, don't be prideful. Be humble before God, or God's going to punish you. And that's a lesson that we, we often hear. I want to say that's a little too simplistic and a little incomplete. We got to look a little bit deeper. So, so pride is definitely one of the motivations. But before pride, we see something else. And so I want, us, I want us to look at the second half of, of the latter part of verse 4. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Lest we be dispersed. This is the key in understanding the motivation of Babel. Now let me ask you this again, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. What was Adam and Eve's sin? And we want to say it was pride because they wanted to be God. It was pride. They want to grab something that, that, that wasn't theirs to have. It's pride. But again, if you were there for that Sunday, pride is not the, the original sin. What was the original sin? They failed to believe in God's goodness. They doubted God. It was a lack of faith that led them to want to be God. That's so important for us to understand because we're going to see a pattern throughout Scripture. We're going to see a pattern throughout our lives. The reason why we sin, right? We want to, we want to name it like this or that. It's, it's this situation, that situation. But actually, it's the lack of faith that moves us to do things on our own, right? Pride is a byproduct of our lack of faith and trust in God. And that's what I want us to understand, so the question then, again, we need to ask is, where does it say in the text that Babel lacked trust in God? Where do we see that? We don't see that, right? It's not explicitly said or shared with us. So we got to look closer. It's implicit, especially with that latter half. Lest we be dispersed. Now, why is that lacking, tr- uh, lacking faith in God? We got to go back to Genesis 9. After the flood, Noah... God tells Noah and he gives him a mandate, the same mandate that he gives Adam and Eve. Go be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
right? And he promises them that creation will be subjected to them. Creation will submit to them. You have nothing to fear. All the beasts will submit to you. Don't be afraid. Fill the earth. Not only that, he says, I promise you, I'll provide food for you. Don't worry about that. Go and fill the earth. After all these promises, right? And the miracle of the flood and God sparing them. Generations later, what do we see the people of Babel doing? They're settling. They're not obeying God's command. So the first motivation for Babel to develop the city and build this tower is not pride. It's actually fear. It's fear. They didn't believe in God. They didn't trust that God would provide. And as a result, they wanted to create for themselves a controlled environment. Because if I go out there, I don't know what's going to be out there, right? But with what we have here, we can do something great. So it was fear that motivated Babel to build a city. Instead of scattering in faith, they settled in fear. God called them to scatter. They settled in fear. And that is why over and over in scripture, God says, fear not. Do not be afraid. Jesus says, do not be anxious. Do not worry about what you'll eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Why? Because fear exposes what? The lack of faith, the lack of trust that we have in God who is good and a God who will provide. And he promises to provide. And so the first motivation of Babel was fear. Babel wanted to be in a controlled and create a safe environment. God cannot be trusted. Let's trust in ourselves. Doesn't this sound familiar? This sounds familiar to me. Uh, This is my struggle to not exercise my faith, to take a hold of my own life, to control my family, to be in control of the ministry that God entrusted me with. I want to be in control. I want to create a safe environment for myself and for my, for my family. See, aren't we all like Babel? <laughs> Things haven't changed, right? The pattern of sin is, is, is the same. We want control. We want safety and security. Now, once again, these aren't bad things. Now, what I'm, saying, what I'm not saying is that safety is a bad thing. It's evil. Control is a bad thing. It's evil. No, we should manage our finances. We should plan for the future. But once our plans supersedes God and his will, that's when we have sinned. When our plans and our desire for security and comfort supersedes God's will for our lives and the call to go scatter, we have sinned against him. We have failed to trust in him. See, the thing that God wants from us, right, is not just our money, It's not just for us to do things. What does he want? What did he want from Adam and Eve? What did he want from Noah and his descendants? He wanted faith. He wanted to be trusted. He wanted a relationship. But we see Babel failing to trust in God. And they took matters into their own hands. Friends, can I ask you this? When was the last time you actually exercised your faith? When was the last time you really cried out to God because you were desperate for him? I think although we see you know, great inventions in human ingenuity, like we live in a very comfortable place. Technology is, is, is amazing. Probably so much com- comfort and, and convenience. Uh, 
I find myself sometimes weeks without exercising faith. God, I need you. I need you to help me. When was the last time you cried out to God asking for help? That you were desperate. See, I think the tendency of our sin is that we want to create a world where we don't want to exercise faith. Isn't that true? We want to be in control. We want things to go our way. So if we have enough money, if we have the house that we can live in, if our children are behaving, if I'm, if I, if I'm succeeding in my career, actually there is no need for me to exercise faith. Because what faith says is I need to believe in something that I cannot see. I need to trust in someone for my own life. But our tendency, I want to take a hold. I want to be in control. Because I don't like ambiguity. I don't like uh, insecurity. I don't like uncertainty. And even more than in Babel, now, the life that we're living now, in the world that we're living now, we're trying to eradicate faith. Because that, that provides comfort and security. See, although comfort and control is not an evil thing, it's a destroyer of faith. It's a destroyer of faith. That's why, God, that's why Jesus says, blessed are those, what? That are poor in spirit. That are poor in spirit. Why would he say this? Because when we're comfortable, when we have everything that we want, we don't need God. And that's the very thing that God desires from us. So first motivation was fear, which is a lack of faith and trust in God. Secondly, what was Babel motivated by? It was pride, pride. Right, they wanted to create a name for ourselves. Now, if they failed to trust in God, and now that seat that God is sitting in is vacated, who's next? Who's next to fill that seat? It's me. I'm next in line to fill that seat, Right? I'm going to take control. It's going to be my way. I'm going to determine for myself what is good and bad. I'm going to plan out my life. See, this tower represents independence from God, pride, self-sufficiency, autonomy. I am my own God. I determine my own life. See, this type of tower that they were trying to build was called a ziggurat. It's a tower with a spiraling staircase going up to heaven. And at the top of that tower, there's a temple and so the idea was that in that temple, God seeing this tower and God seeing that temple, he's going to descend and reside and dwell in that temple. Now, uh, it sounds good and all, but think about it. Think, uh, notice the pretense, the arrogance, the pride of Babel to create this space for God as if God needed a space on their terms for themselves. And it wasn't even for God. It was ultimately for their name. So when the nation saw this tower, right, going up to the heavens with the spiral, uh, spiral staircase and they see the temple and that God presides there, that nations will come and celebrate Babel and not God. So their intentions wasn't God's fame, but their own name. They weren't about glorifying God and, and trying to celebrate God. No, they were about their name. Because if we're not going to go out, let's have everyone come to us, is the idea. The arrogance, the pride that we see in Babel. And so what this tower represents is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. This is another fig leaf 2.0 or fig leaves in, on steroids. See, what, what did Adam and Eve try to do 
When, when they sinned against God, they saw their nakedness and their shame, they made themselves clothes out of fig leaves, right? Hoping that they can compensate for their sins. Now, this tower is the same thing. It's a fig leaf 2.0 on steroids to try to compensate this gap between God and fallen humanity. But again, it's on their terms for their own glory and for their name, not for God's fame. Pride. We all struggle with pride, don't we? It's because of pride that, that a fight that can just last an hour goes on for days. Right? It's pride that, that prevents us from saying that five-letter word that will just fix everything. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. That's all we need to say. And, and there will be harmony in the Chong household. If I just say sorry. Right? All the arrows point that it was my error. But it is pride that, says, that prevents me from just saying that five, it's a very simple word, sorry. Right? Isn't it just simple? Sorry. Jane, I'm sorry. Right? But it's pride that prevents that. What is pride? What is pride? It's self-idolatry. Pride is self-idolatry. It's self-worship. Now, what is an idol? What's idolatry? I've shared this before. But very simply, an idol is a good thing that you've elevated to the status of an ultimate thing. So again, we see a tower in a city, good thing. But once they place their confidence in this city and in this tower more than God, it's become an ultimate thing. It's become an ultimate thing. When their worth and their significance is now all in the city and this tower, it becomes God for them. Our achievements, our accomplishments, they're, they're, they're good things. But once my life depends and my meaning and purpose depends on my accomplishments and my achievements, we've elevated to the status of an ultimate thing. We've made it a God. Children, good blessings from God. Once I base my value and worth in their achievements, and this is my struggle, in Deacon's future athletic ability, I've elevated my son to a God thing. And so what happens when we don't get that? What happens when we start failing? We think we can't live anymore. We lose all meaning and purpose. Now, what does that tell us? We made that thing a God. What are the towers that we have built in our lives? What are the towers that we have built? Money, fame, success, pleasure, comfort, leisure, our kids' success, People's approval, people's approval, is that a tower that we've set up? What are we looking to for salvation? What are we looking to for deliverance? What are we looking to, to to gain meaning and significance in our lives? We all have them. Our, our, our hearts are idol-making factories. What are our towers that we are worshiping and looking to? See, we all have an innate desire for worth, significance, to have security, to have purpose and meaning in life. But we weren't created to find these things in ourselves. Please listen carefully. We weren't meant to, and we weren't created to try to fabricate this ourselves. Why? Because God created us for himself. See, we gotta go back to the very beginning. 
the reason why we have these desires is actually a good desire is because God placed those desires in us and we were, to, we were created and meant to find that in God in relationship. What are our towers? Church, friends, what are the idols that we are worshiping? What, what are we looking to for security, to find rest and peace? Babel was motivated by fear and pride in building their city and this tower. And our motivation is the same. It's fear and pride. Even religion points us to the fact, right, that we are so self-centered and self, so self-focused. See, what Babel was trying to do is they were doing religion, right? Not a relationship with God, but a relig- religious endeavor, right? Because religion ultimately, at its core, is self-centered. It's about self-preservation, It's not about glorifying God, serving God. It's about actually me, myself, my my pleasures, my comfort. And so it's on our terms. And that's what religion is. So religion is motivated, motivated by fear and pride as well. So what does God do as he looks down at Babel and their feeble, weak attempts to build this tower? What does he do? He intervenes. Let's take a look at how God's intervention happens. Our second point, God's intervention. Verse five, and the Lord came down to see the, uh, the city and the tower which the children of man had built. So God condescends. He comes down to take a look. Now this is anthrop- uh, anthropomorphic language, right? God is, uh, the author is using human terms to describe what God did. And th- this is a bit humorous because think about it. The people of Babel were trying to build up this tower, right? To reach God. And what does God do? He looks down and he actually actually come down to see. Isn't that funny? Uh, there's some humor that the, that the author is using to describe God's intervention. He comes down to look at their feeble attempt. Now, it's not that God comes down because he can't see from heaven. Of course, God, we know that God sees all things. So why does he do this? Why does he come down? It's to show how weak our attempts are. Right? They're trying to build a, a tower to reach heavens, but God had to actually come down and to see what they're doing. Now we see God voicing his concerns. It almost seems like God is panicking. He's afraid of what humanity is going to do, right? Verse six, and the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Doesn't it sound like God's panicking? Oh my gosh, right? We got to watch out. This people of Babel is going to steal my thunder. Right? It almost sounds like uh, God, is, God is voicing his concern in that way. But we, we have to understand, God isn't scared. Right? He's not scared that Babel will take away his glory, take away his thunder, as if they can do that. But what he's saying is left to themselves, without his intervention, what's going to happen is that they're going to fall deeper and deeper into sin. They're just going to get more self-reliant, more self-sufficient. And altogether, they're going to ignore God, the one that can save them. So God intervening, coming down, and judging them is actually his grace. It's his mercy. It's his love to intervene in this way. See, instead of destroying them, he confuses them. Right? He confuses them because he promised not to send the flood again. What does he do? He confuses them. His plan is to confuse their language. And Babel in Hebrew, it means confuse. 
right? Verse seven through eight. Come, let us go down, uh, go down and there confuse their language and so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from, from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. He confuses their language. And naturally, because they can't communicate to, get, uh, to, uh, to finish this project, they, they disperse, right? God disperses them. See, God's intervention in Babel is his grace. It's his mercy. Not that he's afraid that, that he, they, will, they, they will steal his thunder, but left to themselves, right? They'll completely forget about him. And what will happen then? Judgment, eternal judgment. See, God's grace is the same for our lives, isn't it? Doesn't God intervene in our lives in the same way? to frustrate us, to maybe even confuse us. See, I find myself, now that Devin is walking, my daughter, she's one, she's walking all over the place. I feel like my job right now is just, and it's, it saddens me because I'm a people pleaser and I want to just, just make Devin happy all the time. But my mission right now is constantly frustrating my daughter, Devin. That's my life right now because she wants to put everything in her mouth. Everything. Uh, she just, and Deacon wasn't the same uh, for some reason. Devin, she finds something on the ground, puts it in her mouth. A battery, puts it in her mouth. A wire, puts it in her mouth. The Apple charger, puts it in her mouth. And she just wants to suck on it and she wants to eat it. What do I do as a father? Oh yeah, <laughs> go ahead. No, I take it out of her hands. And what does she do? She screams. And she's at the point where she's exploring things. She hits me sometimes. Yeah, right? I'm constantly frustrating her. Always trying to go into the kitchen, turn on the gas. I'm like, no. I grab her, right? And she runs away from me. I grab her and I'm frustrating her constantly. And it sucks as a father to, because, you know, I, I want her to love me and just to be happy with me, but I'm constantly frustrating her, 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 her endeavors to, to eat everything and to turn on the gas. Why? Why do I do this as a father? Because that thing that she's pursuing is going to hurt her. She may accidentally blow up our entire house with the gas, turning on the gas. Right? I'm frustrating my daughter. Not because not I just want to frustrate her, because I want the best for her. My right, parents, we understand that. And pet owners understand that as well. We want to do everything that we can do to prevent right, the people that we love from harming themselves. And this is exactly what, is God, what God is doing in Babel. He's frustrating their attempts for self-righteousness. He's frustrating their attempts to live a life without God. And he does the same for us. Can I ask you, what is frustrating you right now? What pursuits, what ambitions, what goals in your life right now that you think is actually gonna save you is God frustrating Maybe, it is, maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's a career path. Uh, maybe it's academics. Now, again, these are good things. But God in his wisdom, in his love, knows what's best for us. And out of love, he intervenes and he'll frustrate us so that we can see that his will is better, that God's way is better. So what is frustrating to us today? What are we confused about? And what God is telling us in that frustration, he's telling us 
that our confidence is misplaced. It's misplaced. We are to seek all these things out and place our confidence in God. So there are some important reminders and lessons for us today. And this is what I'm going to close with. Our application. What is our application from this? See, church, we were never meant to settle. I, I know we, we want to believe that we've settled. We, we've kind of found our place, our comfort zone, and we're just going to settle. Uh, that was never God's intention to, to, to have us and to create us so that we can settle. Rather, it's actually to scatter. It's to scatter. So that we make known the beauty of Jesus Christ in this world. That's why we exist. That's why we have our families. That's why we have these jobs. That's why we have all the things that God gives us. It's not so that we settle, but so that we scatter. See, as God gives a mandate to Adam and Eve to be fruitful, to multiply and fill the earth. As he gives that to Adam and Eve, as he gives it to Noah and his descendants, Jesus Christ gives us a very similar mandate. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and therefore make disciples of all nation, nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And what's the promise? Behold, I will be with you. I will be with you to the ends of the age. The same thing that, that God promises Noah and his children I will be with you. Don't worry about the beasts. I will tame them. Don't worry about food. I'll provide it. Jesus says, behold, I will be with you till the ends, ends of the age. That's the promise that God has made, that Christ has made to us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us if we scatter and when we scatter. So the Bible calls us sojourners. We are temporary residents. We are aliens living in this world. We have a mission. We have a task to scatter. But we find ourselves in an all too familiar place. Out of fear, we settle. But Jesus gets even a little bit more specific. And I, this is kind of where I want to land. He says to his disciples, go, go, out, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right? What does that mean? Right? We got to look at pro proximity. How are we going to apply this command and this commission to scatter? Right? It needs to first start here. It needs to first start here. But before that, what does scattering remind us of? Scattering reminds us never to get comfortable in this life. Never get comfortable. This is a temporary residence for us. Our, our citizenship is in heaven. Our permanent residence is actually is in heaven with God. The second thing that scatter, scattering reminds us of, it, it, scattering positions us to believe and trust in God, right? It, it positions us. When we're scattering, because there's unknown, there's uncertainty, ambiguity, we are in a position only to trust in God when we scatter. So that's another reminder. And lastly, re scattering reminds us that, that we, we have a task. We're not just here just to coast. We actually have a mission. See, the purpose of ANCC, All Nations Church, is so that we don't, it's not so that we create a name for ourselves and so that people in Silmar and Sunland will come and celebrate all nations. That's not our, that's not our goal. It's not to make Onity great. It's not, it's not to make all nations great. It's actually to, to proclaim the excellencies of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. So our, our purpose is not to 
ramp up and, and create all these programs so that people will celebrate all nations. No, if, if, if that's what's happening here, we're not doing our jobs as pastors. If you come and say, wow, Jesus is great. I want to know Jesus more. Then we are actually doing the work that God has called us to. So it, happens, it needs to start here in this community. Are we just being content with our own spirituality? Or are we looking for opportunities to share the love of Jesus Christ, even with our brothers and sisters here? Parents, our homes, are we discipling our children? Husbands, are you discipling your wives? See, if I'm doing my job faithfully as a, as a husband, a, a, a Christ-believing, God-loving husband, right? Jane, Jane won't fall deeper in love with me. She'll fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ. That's my responsibility. My responsibility is not my children to love and celebrate me. My responsibility is so that Deacon and Devin will love and celebrate Jesus Christ. If I'm doing my job correctly, that's, that's the type of families that, that I want to challenge us uh, to, to pursue and to see. That our spouses love Jesus more than they will love me. How about at work? Is it just a paycheck? Are we just, just getting by? Or are we seeking to glorify God? and to make known how amazing Jesus Christ is in our work, in our worth ethic, in our relationship with our coworkers. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that we got to evangelize and, and convert them. I'm just saying the way that we do our work, it, it, it's meaningful to God. It's significant to God. We are participating in God's providence through our work, and are we doing it unto him? How about in our neighbors, in our relationships, in our friendships? Are we seeking our own comforts, or are we looking to serve others? Church, we are called to scatter, to gather people to Jesus Christ. Scatter to gather people to Jesus Christ so that his name alone can be glorified because it is his name alone that can save. See, this isn't the last time that we see God descending or condescending. God will do this again, thousands of years later, in the person of Jesus Christ. But instead of coming down to judge, to execute judgment, God comes down to receive and absorb God's judgment in the person of Jesus Christ. The creator God comes down in Jesus Christ, becoming a part of creation. He had the title of God, but he looked at that title as something not to be grasped. He became a servant Right? The name above all names, Jesus Christ, now sacrifices himself on that cross. He spreads out his arms, nails to his wrist and to his hands, spears to his side. Why? Because he looks at our attempt to create a name for ourselves. He's like, that's inadequate. That's not sufficient. Let me give you a name. The name above all names. He sacrifices himself. So that for us, if we believe in Jesus Christ, our names now can be written in the book of life. Not a temporary name, an eternal name. A child of God. A child of God. And the promises and the guarantee is all the nations of this world, a reversal of Babel is going to happen where God confuses and they disperse. No, now at the end of times when Jesus returns, all nations, all tongues, all tribes, all groups are going to come and celebrate one name, and that is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Church, can we celebrate that? Can we place our faith in Jesus Christ again and stop trying to create our own Babel? 
I, I want to challenge and encourage, encourage us to pursue Jesus Christ and to place your confidence in him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much that when you see us in our weak attempts to, to be self-sufficient, to be independent, to, to try to live our own lives, to, to find significance or worth in ourselves or in the, things of this, uh, in, in the things of this world, that you don't leave us to ourselves. But Lord, you come and intervene. You condescend in the person of Jesus Christ to give us the very thing that we're looking for, to give us a thing that we desperately need, and that is salvation, deliverance, and righteousness. God, I pray that you'll make us desperate again. Help us, Lord, to be desperate again for you. God, I, I pray, Lord, that you'll humble us. If there's pride in us, if there's attitude of self-sufficiency, may you humble us again. May I even ask us, Lord, that you'll constantly frustrate us so that we can look to you and depend on you to satisfy the very things that we want. Church, before I close, can I give you just a moment to, to reflect? What are the towers in your life? What, what, are the, what are the things that you're looking to and the things that you're trying to create to give, us, to give you purpose and meaning, to give you your sense of worth? Is it your jobs? Is it pleasure? Is it, is it your children? Is it your academics? Is it whatever it may be? Can I ask you to, and can I challenge you to lay that down before the throne of God? God, forgive me. God, please help me to see how amazing and how beautiful you are. Church, let me just give you just a brief moment to confess those things and to lay those things down at the foot of the cross. Help us, Lord, I pray. Help us, Lord, to make, to make us desperate for you. We thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.